listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. There's this thing in mechanical devices that doesn't get a lot of credit, and it's called oil. <laughs> Nobody wins a, a race in NASCAR and says, man, that oil was the reason why I won, is that motor oil. <laughs> but nobody makes a ton of money and generates value for shareholders, for companies, and stands up at the board meeting and says, wow, it must have been the structure. It was the structure that made it work. Not really. It doesn't get a lot of credit, but when you're a manager and when you're a leader, and it, there's nothing better than you see the system work, you know that the pieces are there, and that motor oil is, is hidden, and you can see it. Leapfrog from planning to organizing. Just as organizations can be made or broken based on the wrong strategy, if you have the right strategy, but you poorly organize, you may still win, but the effectiveness and the efficiency in which you win is not going to be nearly as high. So if you can couple a strong strategy and a properly organized company to back that strategy, then you're going to have a great time working and managing and leading. We realize the importance of management. We understand why planning is really important as well. The strategy, the goals, knowing what the vision is, the mission of the organization, where we're going. And then when it comes to organizing, it's a different conversation. Organizing is a tool that a lot of managers don't really know how to do. It's more the mechanics of an organization. The strategy, goal setting, the planning process, and then the organizing component is really about the mechanics of the business and how it's structured. So if you can picture that if you're building a robot, it's probably the best way to look at it. Prior to even building the robot, you have some sort of plan for this robot. You, you want to know how tall it is. You want to know what it can perform. You have goals that the robot needs to clean the house. You want the robot to do your homework for you. Whatever you want that robot to become, you have the plan for it. And then when you organize the robot, now, now, now you have a robot in front of you. So the question is, how is that robot going to function in the environment? How is that robot, is it going to start at 2 o'clock? Is it going to start at 3 o'clock? Is it going to perform these tasks? What is the robot going to work with? Who's going to manage the robot? Now you're starting to organize the productivity of the robot. The purpose is delineated in the planning phase. The organizing is how the robot works. So I want to make sure we're going from planning to organizing. The purpose matters, but we're moving away from that and we're getting okay. to organizing. Mechanical, more mechanistic, more uh, schedule, more, okay, so if you have a robot, great, congratulations. Who's managing the robot? <laughs> Who's going to be in charge? Say you have 15, you're managing an orphanage and the robot is there to like take care of the orphans. And now you have to know, okay, well, how does the robot work within the orphanage? Who is going to have the robot at 2 o'clock? Who's going to have the robot at 3 o'clock? What's the robot going to be doing? How are these different departments within the orphanage going to be managed based on the robot? And organizing is something that you go back to somewhat often as well. Statement one is a leader should take charge of the group or organization. Mostly true or mostly false. Second one is the major task of a leader 
The major tasks of a leader are to make and communicate decisions, mostly true or mostly false. Number three is group and organization members should be loyal to designated leaders, mostly true or mostly false. Number four is the responsibility for taking risks lies with the leaders, mostly true or mostly false. Number five is leaders should foster discussions among members about the future, mostly true or mostly false. Number six is successful leaders make everyone's learning their highest priority. Number seven is an organization needs to be always changing the way it does things to adapt to the changing world, mostly true or mostly false. And then the last one is everyone in the organization should be responsible for accomplishing organizational goals. Mostly true or mostly false. So these questions that we just answered, and we'll go over the results in a second, these are a little hint at you individually and what structures you would be most effective in, what structures you would be effective working in, and what structures you would be effective leading. Because they're really segmented in two different ways. The first four questions, they reflect position-based leadership beliefs. Position authority, responsibility, accountability, structure. Structure is making sure things are in proper order. You sit here, you are over here, making sure the tables line up. Things have an order to them and they are there for a reason, structure. So position-based leadership means that in the structure, we have somebody who's in charge, we have somebody who works underneath them, we have somebody who works underneath that person, and there's a chain of command. There's a position, and a position has authority. So the first four questions are position-based leadership beliefs. These suggest that the most competent and loyal people are placed in positions of leadership, and they assume responsibility and authority for the group or organization. So if you answer mostly true to those questions, there is more of a propensity for you to be led in a position-based leadership style, or to lead in a position-based leadership style. Statements five through eight reflect non-hierarchical leadership beliefs more consistent with a flat or even a bossless design. So this does fit into the structure conversation and it's going to come up tonight. It's just more of a flat structure. It's the belief that people can contribute regardless of what position they have, that they don't need authority in order to get things done all, all of the time, that even authority from people at the top is really given to the people below so that intentionally given to them so that they can get things done quicker. And that's more of a, a non-hierarchical leadership belief. These beliefs are based on the idea that the group or organization faces a complex system of adaptive challenges and leaders see their job as facilitating the flow of information among members and their full engagement to respond jointly to those challenges. The subscale for which you checked more items, mostly true, may reveal your personal beliefs about position-based versus non-hierarchical leadership. Position-based beliefs typically work for managers in a traditional vertical hierarchy, mechanistic organization. That's questions one through four. Questions five through eight, non-hierarchical beliefs typically work for managers engaged with horizontal organizing, such as managing teams, projects, and networks, or for more recently designed bossless organizations. So now let me ask, but who had more mostly true in one through four, if you count them, one through four mostly true, versus five through eight. Who had more mostly true then? One, two, three. Okay, tune in tonight when we talk about 
centralized organizations, when we talk about chain of command, when we talk about position-based authority, like these are things that you sometimes thrive in. You like that structure, I'm assuming. This is based on what your self-assessment says. And that's an okay thing. And maybe you do that in your personal life, maybe your parents, as you were growing up, maybe they raised you in a more authoritative way that you know it's their way of the highway, that kind of thing. Sometimes our belief structure about the organizations we work for, the leaders we gravitate towards, does have a decent amount to do with the way that we were raised. So who now has the more non-hierarchical belief questions five through eight more mostly true? Assessment, I would say one, a leader should take charge of the group or organization, I'd say mostly true. The major tasks of a leader are to make and communicate decisions, I would say definitely false. Group and organization members should be loyal to designated leaders. Because it says designated, I say no. The responsibility for taking risk lies with the leaders. Yes, mostly true. Leaders should foster discussions among members about the future. Yes, successful leaders make everyone's learning their highest priority. Yes, an organization needs to always needs to be always changing the way it does things to adapt to a changing world. Yes, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want to make sure you guys understand because there's positives to one side and then there's negatives to that same side. So every single one of these questions could be scored a different way. And what's so interesting about it is that they're scored differently based on, again, our personal beliefs, but also the strategy of the organization. Zappos.com is brought up a lot with the bossless structure. And when they initiated that bossless structure, they actually gave people the option to leave the organization and pay them severance and said, I'm not going to work in this environment. And some of them were right because it's a little bit more chaotic. There's not a lot of understanding as to what am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be doing it? What are the rules here? So now you have Zappos who could potentially move and did move to a bossless environment. But then you think about the federal prison system and the, the guards in the prison system and how the structure of leading and designing and organizing the prison and some of their strategies and some of their goals, you can't have a bossless environment there. It doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe you could, but it, probably isn't going to work as well, considering the fact that you have to have a chain of command and you have to have policies and rules and regulation behind it. And that people need to understand, am I a sergeant? Am I a lieutenant? Am I, uh, am I the captain of this facility? Who's ultimately in charge here? And when something goes crazy wrong, somebody needs to raise their hand and say, hey, this is on me and here's what we're going to do. And I'm leading this situation. If five people step up and say, I'm leading this situation, we got a problem. And if five people sit there and don't do anything, we got a problem. <laughs> so there has to be a clear chain of command, which aligns more towards answering that question about, can it be changing all the time? Think about uh, the military. And they actually had a case study in the military of how they effectively designed military operatives for such a long time with how many people are on a squad, a team, a battalion, groups of people doing missions. And typically for many, many years, they were structured the same. They had three people as gunners, five people as uh, foot soldiers, two people as Humvee drivers, whatever that looked like. But in the last five years, they changed that. So even in the military, they're making changes. But for many, 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 many years, it was identical. Same, same exact thing because it worked. But just as human beings change, structure needs to change too. And I think that that's the lesson that I, we want to take away from that military example. 
that even in the most structured environment, and we're at war, and we have to rely on people doing their job, even in that environment, they've made changes. So of course, in organizations, as social issues change, as Zoom becomes a tool that we can use, as technology advances, I mean, even in, as, a, as an educator, things change. The way students learn, you look at your laptops, look at, your, look at the screen in front of us. This, this wasn't always the case. And then, of course, we have to build structure around, okay, how are we going to manage that? What does that look like? There was only a fully present in class <laughs> option however long ago. So once you build out these other options, the structure has to change around that option. If, if you're starting to jive with the understanding of what structure is, and you already know what strategy is, a way to achieve a competitive advantage, an intentional plan, a strategic plan, the more academic definition in a sense would be to utilize our resources, our time, our talent, our money effectively to defeat our competition. What is our strategy of utilizing our resources so that we can attain a competitive advantage and win? That's the strategy. It's the goal. So now that we understand strategy, and if you're starting to drive with structure, okay, how do we build this organization to best accomplish the strategy? If you're thinking about soccer, do we have three forwards, uh, two midfielders, and four defensive people? And, and that's the structure of our how we are operating. That's we have more defense and offense. That, that is a structure. From an organizational perspective, we're breaking up the finance department into accounts receivable and accounts payable. And accounts receivable has, which are the people invoicing our customers, and accounts payable are the ones sending checks to vendors. So they're, they're different tasks. But we're separating them, and we're having them operate independent. That's the way we believe we're going to achieve a competitive advantage over our competitors. So that's just, a, again, an organizational example of a way that we're structuring our organization to win. The question I'm asking is, what comes first? The structure, and then you design strategy? Or, or what if a company is already existing? Do you restructure the company around a strategy? Or do you, do you design the strategy around the existing structure? What do you think? Structure comes after strategy. Strategy comes after structure. So you have this big company. It's structured in a certain way. We're located in these different countries. We're going to design a strategy to best utilize our structure. And then the other way is saying, hey, we really need to be intentional about our strategy. We have to design our structure. We have to restructure everything because we have a new strategy. And in order to accomplish our strategic goals, we need the teams to operate like this. Who says it's structure comes after strategy? Who says strategy comes after structure? There is no right answer to it. I tend to lean more towards one, that structure comes after strategy because I believe that strategy is vital. But the question is how much time, energy, and effort do we have to reorganize our company, create a new structure, have a different chain of command, have different people reporting to different people, and just to achieve this strategy. What if the strategy is wrong? IBM, for instance, really, really believes that structure comes after strategy. And they restructure all the time. Organizing is a tool. It, it is a special gift that each one of you have been given in this conversation tonight. To know that organizing our organization could pay dividends in the future. Who's seen the movie 300? Yes. So there's this uh, ancient Greek story about 
hundreds of thousands of people, just sheer numbers, just dominating these different armies coming through, coming through and just wiping out cities, demanding subordination from the cities that they are coming after. And these Spartans had a, a pretty big army and they, they fought a decent way, but they sent 300 of them, a very small number, but it was an elite group of warriors to a strategic area where their effectiveness was much more effective because it was a mountain path and they could funnel. They would come into this path and they would meet the Spartan army here. And so there was mountains here, mountains here, and they had this stronghold here. And as many of these other opposing forces came in, they could not break through. And it wasn't just because these 300 Spartans are super strong and they were great warriors and they fought strategically together in order to effectively win. The structure was designed around the strategy. So they, they would say, okay, what, what are we working with here? We've, we've trained in a certain way, but we're going to reorient ourselves based on our competition, based on the environment, and we're going to ensure that we utilize all aspects of these environments and our, the weaknesses of our competition to design a strategy that works. And so they restructure themselves often. IBM does the same thing. They just believe that restructuring, they're, they're all very talented people at IBM. Some of the most talented people you can imagine. Restructuring is, is easy and straightforward to them. You don't have to explain to a, a manager or an intelligent consultant at IBM why we need to be restructured. You just explain the strategy and then they come up with the structure together. They restructure and they say, okay, this is effective. Let's, let's move forward and make it work. But it would be a little bit more challenging to restructure, let's say, an organization like American Airlines. A little bit more challenging to restructure American Airlines, wouldn't you think, than IBM. Why? Big organization, mostly based with what? What does American Airlines have as resources? Big airplanes with consumer expectations of destinations. And how about their, their hub in Atlanta? Is it easy for them to just say, you know what, we're going to go to a different hub. We're going to restructure and just make Dallas our hub. Is that an easy decision where they can just pivot? No, so the point I'm trying to make is that the heaviness of an organization, the ship, a cruise ship, if you try to steer it, it takes 30 minutes to start turning in one direction versus a speedboat. Here we go, we're going in this direction. It's a different animal to mess with. They could start taking some of their assets and resources from Atlanta over to Dallas over time and do it strategically, but they can't do it very quickly. And they certainly would have the same structure as they're changing. And then eventually they can, they can shape and change. So it's not always a good thing. And I mean, I'm kind of hitting the same question right here. Number seven, the organization needs to always be changing the way it does things to adapt to a changing world. So just as organizations can be made or broken based on the wrong strategy, if you have the right strategy, but you poorly organize, you may still win, but the effectiveness and the efficiency in which you win is not going to be nearly as high. So if you can couple a strong strategy and a properly organized company to back that strategy, then you're going to have a great time working and managing and leading. And it, there's nothing better than, we'll use the robot analogy, when you have this robot that's supposed to have great goals and think of the robot as the company and you build it and you see it and it's working flawlessly. There's this thing in mechanical devices that doesn't get a lot of credit and it's called oil. <laughs> Nobody wins a, a race in NASCAR and says, man, that oil was... The reason why I won is that motor oil. <laughs> but nobody makes a ton of money 
and generates value for shareholders, for companies, and stands up at the board meeting and says, wow, it must have been the structure. It was the structure that made it work. Not really. It doesn't get a lot of credit, but when you're a manager and when you're a leader, you see the system work, you know that the pieces are there and that motor oil is, is hidden and you can see it. And it starts to get who here is a fisherman or fishes. You fish? Are there days when you go out fishing and you just know that you're going to catch some fish today before you even put to rod in the water? In your gear, what else? Your experience. So your tested and proven methodology, along with your gear, the conditions, you can almost sense the conditions. It's windy, if it's not windy, what time, how about the time of day? You know that the structure is operating at its best right around beginning of season. And you know that it's going to need some attention. Or it's going to need some maybe different gear or different attunement throughout the, the summer months because people start to get complacent or lazy. Uh, you know that as the machine starts to kind of wear and tear, those relationships that you're building as a leader, as a manager with some of your, your staff members, you're starting to sense that they're, they're distancing yourself themselves from you. You're starting to sense that they're not wanting to have lunch with you or talk to you as often. If you know that something's not quite right with the structure or the mechanism or the, say the fishing mechanics, you're going to address it. And this is what structure is about is understanding what's most effective, what's the best procedure, the best process in which we can attain our goals. That's structure. So you're telling me that in a restaurant, there are things that are happening prior to the customers getting there. Oh, and those things include prep. Why is it important to prep? To be ready for the customers. Okay, so there's a group of people that show up prior to the customers getting there, probably the earliest, which are back of the house, right? Do you think that the lead waiter manages the back of the house? Why would the lead waiter not manage the back of the house? Doesn't make sense for them to. Doesn't fit within their wheelhouse. They're not serving customers back of the house. Who would be the leader of the back of the house? The executive chef. Okay, give me an example of another group of people within the organization at a restaurant. Bartenders, servers, can they be grouped the same or are they different? Okay, let's group them together. Okay. They're customer facing. Do they need to be there five hours before the restaurant opens? Okay, so these guys are here at, we'll just say 5 a.m. These guys are here at, and the restaurant opens at 8 a.m. These guys are here at 6.45 a.m. We're serving breakfast here. And then how about the managers and the owner of the restaurant? I mean, he might be there at 4.45 one day, but he might not get there until 9 a.m. a different day. And then of course you have people that come in once the servers have done their job, once the back of the house has done their job, then you probably have another crew coming in say, uh, we'll just say five o'clock at night because they're not, they're not cooking dinner, they're just serving breakfast and lunch. And what would this crew be doing at 5 p.m.? The restaurant shut down. The restaurant closed at 2 p.m. Cleaning. Does the executive chef lead the cleaning crew? No. And then at night, maybe there's another group of people. It's a big restaurant. It's got a nice piece of property. It's very expensive fish inside. Who would be coming in at 9 p.m. at night? Security. So we have the back of the house. We have servers and bartenders. We have a cleaning crew and we have security. Somebody has to be managing all of them. And oversee the general manager and you have an assistant manager so you have an executive chef you have a, a manager of the bartenders and the servers you have a head security officer you have a, a leader on the cleaning crew whoever that is or the point of contact for the for the general manager and then the general manager sort of oversees the operation and make sure that things are running smoothly 
And the general manager and likely the owner have some level of theory around how they're organizing their teams. So thank you for that example. It's a perfect example. You guys can see that now in these, in these companies, these organizations, these different units, these different teams. And organizing is a deployment of organizational resources to achieve strategic goals. Organizing is important because it follows from strategy. It goes strategy and then how are we going to organize around our strategy. Strategy defines what to do and organizing defines how to do it. We have gone from understanding the utility and the value of management, why it's important, talking about planning, organizing, leading, controlling. The planning, we spoke about strategy, we spoke about mission, we spoke about vision, goals, creating an operating plan, sometimes looking at and monitoring operations, making how are we gonna do this? What does it look like? What's the plan for the future? Obviously goals is a big part of that. So now we're moving to organizing. Organizing is about understanding authority and power and designing a structure that is intentional based on our strategy. So if we look back to planning and say, okay, what is our strategy? And we organize around that strategy so that the strategy will be most effective within our structure and within our organizing plan. Our strategy is to be the best breakfast restaurant in all of Miami. Therefore, we need to have an executive chef. And we need our people to be there at 5 a.m. when the restaurant opens at 7. Anything besides that probably is not gonna help us achieve our goal. And then of course, if our security team and our, our cleaners were there at 5 a.m. and just standing there waiting to do something, that's not very effective. That's a poor use of organized, that's a poor use of resources, not organized well to achieve our, our goal. And, and I'm gonna lean in on that example for a second because if you're organizing well, you don't have a lot of downtime and you don't have a lot of wasted energy, wasted, wasted space, wasted thought, wasted resources. You're not, you're not throwing dollar bills out the window as you're driving down the highway in your truck. You're, you're operating effectively if you're organized well. Think about if you walk into your house and you need to do your homework or you need to complete that assignment, uh, walk your dog, and you need to make food and you have one hour to do it. And you walk into your house and your house is a mess. It's a total mess. You still need to do those assignments amidst a messy house. You're gonna to have to figure out a way to either address the mess while you're trying to do things, but then picture yourself now, if, if that was one state of mind, the next state of mind is you walk in your house, your house is crystal clean, all the chores are done, the AC is nice and cool, and you're ready to do your assignment, walk your dog. And there's, there's nothing that gets in the way of that. That's the difference between a messy organization that is cluttered with poor organizing ability versus an organization that you can walk in and you can see the goal. You can see the resources you have. You pick up the hammer, you walk the hammer over here, you hit the thing, you clean up the mess, you're done, you pick up your stuff, you send the customer an invoice and say, here's your invoice, sir. You understand how it's organized. This is where it moves into the mechanics of it. The set of formal tasks assigned to individuals and departments. From the moment a customer, that entire experience that they have, driving to your restaurant, parking in the parking lot, getting out of their car, walking from their car into the front door, how they're greeted, what they do, where they sit down, how they consume their food, what they hear while they're consuming their food, their experience, how, what they smell, what temperature it is in here, and then how long it takes them to eat their food, do they enjoy the food they eat, when do they get their check, how do they get their check, who do they give their check to, and then that process of letting them saying goodbye, turning over the table and getting a new customer in. 
If you really think about every single touch point that the customer hits along that process, think about all the tasks that as a team that you would have to assign in your mind. And we could probably list a hundred of them just based on those touch points alone. So there are a ton of tasks. We don't have to list them all with the back of the house, the servers, the bartenders, they're all over the place. So my question to you as organizers is how do we delineate these tasks? How do we assign these tasks? How do we departmentalize, say, okay, this department's responsible for these tasks. Would it make sense for the cleaning crew who comes in after everybody to take a quick look around the parking lot to ensure that the customers aren't going to experience a, a poor smell or trash right outside their car when they come in. So even though the back of the house is responsible for cooking, it could be on a managerial checkpoint to say, hey, somebody's got to go outside just to make sure the parking lot doesn't have pizza boxes in it from last night because they have to monitor to see if the cleaning crew did their job. Because if the, if the back of the house are the first people there, there might be some other tasks that they're assigned in addition to what they're just based on the operation of the organization. As managers, you got to think, we have to think about those things, everything, and how those, those things are assigned. So now you have these formal tasks. You have, of course, the person that's leading the back of the house is saying, okay, it's 5 a.m. Santino's not here. It's 5.15. Santino's not here. Where you at? Who's doing that? And who has the authority to even say Santino's not here? And who's calling Santino? And who's responsible for bringing him here? And then what are the consequences? Who, who applies those consequences when Santino's not there? That person is the person that has the authority. It's the reason why Santino says, man, I better be there because two days ago I was late and Johnny, the manager, kind of called me out. He knew what he was doing. So that's, that's where these formal reporting relationships and the design of systems to ensure effective coordination of employees across departments needs to be in place. That's where we start getting into authority. That's where we start getting into power. That's where we start getting into position and how power is given and what power really is. And power through authority. It's fun. And then you have an organizational chart. You guys have all seen an organizational chart. It depends on how you structure the organization with what it looks like. So for instance, in our organization, I was the president of the company but I was at the bottom of the organizational chart. And one of the reasons why I did this is because I just believe that the customer and some of the people in the field should be at the top. The most important person that we have are the field technicians because the field technicians are interfacing with the customers all the time. They should be doing the most talking to their managers, like a diamond. They should be talking to their managers. Their managers should then be talking to the executives. And those executives should then be talking to me. And I should be sitting at the bottom and saying the least and listening the most. Because what do I know about what's happening over here, over here, over here, over here? And that's just what I believed our organizational structure should look like. That's what our charts should look like. That's how I empowered people on the front line. We resourced them. They were part of our strategy, our mission. If we're gonna deliver effective quality service to high-end luxury homeowners, how in the world are we gonna, oh, well, let me think. Should I put myself here and then put these you know, guys down here and who cares about them? I'm here and here's HR and here's, it, it, how does it make any sense? How, what kind of quality you know, pool maintenance service, service am I delivering up here? I'm not. The power of charts, it makes a difference. This would be an example of how most organizations are run, a sample of an organizational chart. President, you have a vice president of accounting, director of human resources, vice president of production, director of marketing, and then they have their teams. It's, this is sort of departmentalized in a sense. You got the accounting department, you got the HR department, you got the production department, and you have the marketing department. 
There's not a lot of interfacing between departments other than them reporting to the president. These guys are likely in a lot of meetings together. And then from there, these, these leaders kind of delineate the information down. And then, of course, this chief accountant has two people reporting to them. And then this bottling plant superintendent has a person reporting to them. So the minute I think anybody can be a leader, you can lead through influence. You can lead through inspiring people to achieve organizational goals. So you don't have to have a person reporting to you. But there's a substantiality behind management. When you do actually have someone reporting to you, you're assuming the role of manager. Because that person now needs to know, okay, what, like, what kind of authority do I have? <laughs> can I fob into anywhere I want around this organization? Or does that manager sort of check to see what access this person has? And that, that's where that just thinking through the process of granting your subordinate access to something is a managerial decision. So there'll be a lot of different uh, organizational charts we'll look at today. But the division of labor and the chain of command, these are two big things that agree to which organizational tasks are subdivided into separate jobs. So when you think about, you have an organizational task of making sure the customer has a hot steak. When it comes out, we want it to be hot. Do you think that just happens? <laughs> Not really. You got okay, so you gotta take the steak, gotta put it on the grill, right? Put on the grill, cook it, back office, back in the house is taking care of this task. Steak on the grill, we get it. It comes off the grill, then what? Goes on the plate. The guy who cooked the steak is usually done at that point. Where does it go then? Oh, it doesn't go straight from steak on a plate to the table. There's more to it than that. Well, what else is served with the steak? Yeah, so you have somebody likely facilitating the mashed potatoes, maybe some green beans, asparagus, but those are being cooked and kept to temperature somewhere else, right? Not on the grill. So this steak needs to be put on a plate and then transitioned somewhere else. So division of labor is the degree to which organizational tasks, hot steak onto the table, are subdivided into separate jobs. So you got the guy doing the steak, you got the guy doing the asparagus over here, and once the guy with the asparagus is done, he might bring it over, check the slip to see if it comes with the side salad. Okay, it doesn't come with the side salad, then he puts it on the, okay. onto the window. It stays there for how long? Remember our goal was, was a hot steak. So we have to have some procedures around, okay, how long is it sitting there for? And you, you, you notice a bell, ding, ding, ding. Why do you think that bell happens? Like, oh, something's up. One of the reasons why it's up, I gotta go. I gotta get this thing because our goal is to put it on the table, it's gotta be hot, it's gotta be fresh, too, because that's one of our organizational goals. So if you, if you rewinded that back even more, who bought the steak? Who stored the steak? Who brought the steak out from the, from the refrigerator to the grill? I mean, think about all of the tasks involved and how do we divide those tasks to be most effective? That's the division of labor. The chain of command talks about the general manager of the restaurant, talked about the, the head chef, what that looks like, an unbroken line of authority that links all employees in the organization and shows who reports to who. Authority. Who likes to have authority? What are some things you enjoy about having authority? There's a, a great book called The Motive by Patrick Lencioni, and I'll read it. It's about the why people get into leadership. And some people get into leadership or management to get authority. And then once they get it, they don't really know how to use it effectively and sustainably for possibly the wrong reasons. But authority, all it is, formal authority and legitimate right of a manager to make decisions, issue orders, and allocate resources to achieve organizationally desired outcomes. It's a position. You've achieved a position, an authoritative position. Is that formal authority? Yeah. Is it legitimate authority? Is it, is it our coercive authority? Is it relational authority? 
there's different types of power and authority that people can have. So we'll go through authority. Authority is vested in an organizational position, not people. Authority flows down the vertical hierarchy. Authority is accepted by subordinates. Is it always accepted by subordinates? Not always. If it's not accepted by subordinates, is it authority? Do you have authority? Well, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest, somebody hears it, it didn't fall. Yes, I have authority bestowed upon me through the institution, and they've given me a title, but I am not in a position of authority because nobody is, nobody is blessing, accepting my authority. So this is where revolutions and revolts and you know, people have authority. We don't like the leader. We're going we're gonna to demonstrate. We don't agree. And there's power there, real legitimate power if we don't accept the people that are in authority. So in order to be in authority, you have to have people subordinate themselves to your authority. If I give you authority, but you do not have responsibility, accountability, and you do not know how to delegate, how well are you handling your authority? Let's just say not well. We can go through all of those, but what's responsibility? So the person in authority is in authority to usually accomplish something. There's usually a, a point to it. So they have a responsibility, a duty to perform tasks or activity assigned. If I have the responsibility, but I don't have the authority. So I have the responsibility to perform a task, but I don't have the authority to get the task done. So you're running at Miami-Dade Park Association, and you have to clean this park every morning before the people in the county come in. You have a team of three people. You're told that you have these people on the team uh, work for you and that you need to clean this park. But there's... Three, two people on the team that have been there 10 years longer than me. And they said, I don't need to do what you do. I don't need to, I don't report to you. I report to Joey. Is that going to be a challenge for you to get your job done? If that person really technically doesn't report to you and you don't have authority over them, but you still have responsibility to clean that park? Well, I guess the challenge would be you don't have the authority. You can't fire them. And you can't because they report to Joey. They're, they're on your team, but they don't report to you. Where you have to get something done. You have the responsibility to clean this park. But the people that work with you to clean the park, they don't report to you. So do they have to help you? They don't have to help you. But it's still your duty to clean the park. So how are you going to do it? I mean, the, the point of the example was to demonstrate that if they didn't report directly to Mary Angel, and they did not, and Mary Angel did not have authority over them to fire them, to get them in trouble, or has some control over their behavior, then it's going to be much more difficult for her to get her job done that she's responsible to get done. And this happens all the time. In organizations that people are given the responsibility and the accountability to get something done but they don't have the authority to get it done so when you call a, a bank you're the controller of an organization and you cannot sign checks you're not a signer on the account you, you can't you essentially can't allocate funds and every single time you want to get the funds allocated as the controller to go pay somebody or something but you always have to call the CEO of the company to get them to sign checks or to get them to release the funds, how difficult is that to get, do your job? You have the responsibility, you're the controller yes. of the organization, you have the financial stewardship under your job description. It's frustrating. Or what sometimes we have to do is we have to go to their boss and ask their boss to ask them to do what, they, what we need them to do because you have no authority over it. So in essence, this is the crux of the problem with people who fail to organize, is when managers do not see these things. But managers do not see that there's authority that needs to be bestowed on a manager or, or somebody in order to get stuff done. And they're not, they're so ignorant, they don't even know that they're not giving authority out, but they're giving responsibility out. 
And that's where structure fits in and say, okay, wait a minute. If our goal is this and you know, she needs to clean the park and she's got three people helping her, but none of them actually report to her because she's not a manager, I probably need to do something about that. No more Joe, whoever he is. He's out of the picture. Here is the new structure. Here's how we're going to operate. Does anybody have any questions? That would be a great leadership thing to do, but some leaders don't do it because they don't know how to work on it. That's the problem. What's delegation? So every single day, there are creators out there. I went to a conference, the last day of the conference called VUCON this past weekend at the Wattsville Center. They had this creative team that at the very last day of the conference, they're promoting the conference for next year. So it's a three-day conference. And on, on the Saturday, they did Friday, Saturday. On Saturday night, they have a team of people creating content and changing the whole website around now next year's conference to try and get cash flow and stuff like that for next year. Is the, the head event planner, is he the one doing that, creating the content and uploading the content? And No. He's delegating that to his team. And they have a plan, and he has to learn. As leaders, as managers, we have to learn how to delegate appropriately, effectively, in order to get our job done. And that's a part of utilizing the structure and delegating accordingly, being able to delegate with, with kindness, but also with authority. It's a huge part of strategy. The process that managers use to transfer authority and responsibility down the hierarchy. So we have line authority, we have staff authority. And line authority, managers have formal authority to direct and control immediate subordinates. Line department, Departments perform tasks that reflect the organization's primary goal and mission. I am the crew leader. These three people, I have a line authority over them. Complete. They work for me. They do what I ask them to do. One guy's on the weed eater. One guy's on the blower. But that crew leader also has to work with, let's say, a, a person in the finance department in order to call or contact a customer about a late bill. They come to the property. And the, the property homeowner comes out while they're servicing the property and says, hey, I have a bill. I want, I want to pay you. He says, wait a minute. I have to call somebody in the finance department. So now we're moving to staff authority. This is narrow authority that includes the right to advise, recommend, and counsel in the staff specialist area of expertise. So now you're looking at, all right, this finance person does not, doesn't, the crew leader does not work directly for them. You got line authority. Now we're at staff authority. So now you have this odd relationship where you have this crew leader calling the finance person, the finance person picks up, and now you have an interesting exchange. The crew leader says, finance person, I need you to do something. Finance person says, I need you to leave that property and not cut it anymore because their bill is six months overdue and we shouldn't even be there. So now the crew leader has been told what to do by somebody who's not their, their supervisor. This is the staff authority concept, narrow authority that includes the right to advise, recommend, and counsel in the staff specialist area of expertise. The finance person has information that the crew leader doesn't have. So the finance person is, is advising, you're wasting your time. They, they're showing you an invoice or a late bill, but they never pay. They're six months behind payment. We shouldn't have showed up to the property. You should leave. <laughs> That's staff authority. And that person, that accountant's going to go to their boss and say, hey, Joe's over at the property again, servicing the property. They haven't paid us in six months. So God forbid that chain of command now goes to the the crew leader's supervisor, and then that person now has line authority over the crew leader. So now it becomes more that, why did you go to that property? What did you do? Why did you do that? So how that, if you're following the story, how that accountant advises the crew leader is a staff authority concept. There's an expertise in the accountant that's advising the crew leader, don't do that. 
<laughs> but there's not a direct chain of command. That's staff authority. There's still authority. Okay, I'm in charge of the money. You're wasting it. <laughs> you shouldn't be there. Go, quick. I advise you, leave. The leader says, no, I'm not going to do it. Accountant can't do anything about it. So span of management, if you really think about span of management, the number of employees reporting to a supervisor, how big, how wide is our span of management? Less supervision, larger spans of management. So if you have a task like manufacturing bikes and you're using 3D printers and the 3D printers are doing most of the work and you have 45 people just managing the 3D printers, can one person manage all 45 people? It's a repetitive task. It's straightforward, easy to do. The answer is yes. And the reason why is because the task is so repetitive, it's simple, it's straightforward, it doesn't require a lot of work, the 3D printers are doing a lot of the work, you can manage 45 people. Is it the best thing to do? I'm not saying yes, but you could. Versus if you had lawyers and you were the partner on a law firm and you had 45 lawyers working for you, could one manager manage 45 lawyers? Different cases, different specialties in, in being a lawyer, different personal situations, different levels of knowledge. It, it's, it's unique, where in that case, five lawyers working under you, five to seven is, is usually the magic number. Any more than that, so much. So in our, our pool company, we had a route supervisor. How many pool technicians, people cleaning the pools, can the route supervisor really manage effectively? What do you guys think? They're not cleaning pools, they're just managing them. It's anywhere between nine and 13. And our sweet spot was 12. 12 was where we were most profitable, but, so there were some people had 13, but that's not ideal. We're trying to get a tech over, you know, if it's 13 is a little high, but 12 was most profitable, but really we were sitting around anywhere between nine and 13, like I said. But 12 was the ideal number from our analysis. So you guys can see how span of management matters. How many people are you managing? What tasks are they performing? How much is too much versus not a lot of, if you think about Dunkin' Donuts and you go to Dunkin' Donuts and you have a manager there, how many staff members, or, or let me ask, if you, you, you guys picture Dunkin' Donuts, how many people work in the Dunkin' Donuts? Guess, just, just at one shift, four or five, whatever. So do you need two managers there at the same time? Okay, now imagine Chuck E. Cheese. How many people are working at a very busy Chuck E. Cheese on a Saturday afternoon? 15, 20, do you, do you need maybe two managers there? Maybe. That's where you kind of, one manager, is that enough? Maybe. <laughs> but it's, it's getting to the point where it might be a little much for them. Two managers is probably ideal. Maybe they overlap. Maybe it's a little slower in the morning and one manager comes in from 8 a.m. to yeah, 12, 12. And then the second manager comes in and they overlap for like a couple hours and that, that crux of the day. And then that second manager stays a little bit later into the evening. That, that would probably be a legitimate strategy where you're understanding the span of management. So tall structures and flat structures. A tall structure is a high chain of command. It is a clear bureaucratic way of managing. It's got a president, a vice president, a CEO, and then it's got the, the different functions within the organization and each of those different functions like human resources, finance, accounting, sort of departmentalized, has their chain of command underneath them. It's, there's a lot of different levels of the organization. Versus a flat structure is really saying, okay, well, like Zappos or like Apple or like Google, there's a lot of different positions in Google. You can very well, if a person says I'm head of product development at Google, they could be anywhere within this structure. Right? It could be very flat. 
They could have nobody reporting to them. They could be in charge of going to these different groups and asking them what to do and how do we do it, and just be creative with it. That's more of a flat, not as tall of a structure. And a lot of times the tall structures are the bigger companies, the well-established companies that have maybe heavy real estate, heavy assets, and they can't, it's very hard for them to, it's very hard for them to, to be agile and adapt. Versus a flat structure, these are, these are companies that are more, are more agile. They have uh, maybe tech companies, uh, small entrepreneurial type companies, this kind of stuff. So this would be an example of a tall versus a flat structure. Centralized and decentralized, you'll hear this often in your business career. Centralized means there was a decision to be made, and I have to go and I have to fill out a form, and that form needs to go to head of HR, and then head of HR needs to get approval from the president in order to get me reimbursement for my whatever, whatever it is. The point is that the decision-making within an organization, when it's centralized, it means usually a person is controlling it, and they have to go through their authority in order to get things done. So that's a centralized organization versus a decentralized organization. There are that, that authority and those decision-making, remember we talked about decision-making, is more spread out throughout the different leaders and managers. So for instance, if you have this, this restaurant that we talked about, the person that is the head of the servers and bartenders can, has a, a spending card where they can go out and just buy booze or buy something and don't have to get approval from the CEO of the restaurant. And maybe the, the executive chef has the same ability to do that. And if, if the servers and bartenders wanted to change the way that they served that particular night because they knew you know, there was a president coming in for dinner, they can just go ahead and change it. They don't need to get approval to do certain things. So if you, if you can picture yourself as a business owner, do you want the head of the servers making those decisions for you? Not you. Say, hey, well, chain of command here. Span of control, you, if you want to make decisions on how we serve our customers, you have to do that through me. That would be a leadership managerial decision. That's would say, no problem. You want to change it? Let me call, see what's going on. But some people may say, I really trust this guy, and I want him to most effectively manage his team. Therefore, I'm decentralizing authority, and I'm pushing downward to the lower parts of the organization some of these decisions. Factors that influence centralization, rapid change and uncertainty in the environment are associated with decentralization. Whatever fits the firm strategy it has a lot to do with structure. So now that we've built the structure, how are we either centralizing or decentralizing the decision? Departmentalization. We did this in our organization at one point. We departmentalized from a divisional structure to more of a centralized structure. We went from a pool company, a landscape company, and a construction company that really operated separately. And we pooled all of these core functions like finance and accounting and operational leadership into a central hub. And then we supported all of the different divisions. So we had more of a functional structure. We went from divisional to functional. A vertical functional structure. This is what we, this is where we started. We had a pool division. We had a landscape division. They had their own way of doing finance, accounting, sales, whatever that looked like. And then we had, so then we had myself up here, and then this was the head of the pool division, head of the landscape division. And then we went from here to the vertical structure where we said, okay. This is all pool, landscape, construction, human resource, manufacturing, accounting. These are now going to support the divisions. So it went from divisional to vertical. And then the matrix, it's a little bit new, more nuanced, more new age. It's actually a lot of organizations are tending to move this way. It's just a little bit more complex because sometimes you have two bosses. Uh, you could work for one division one day and work for another division a different day. 
you could work under human resources and for Division One. So then you have teammates. So you are on a, a small company, and your duty is to open up a new a new restaurant. Here we go in a different city, and you're currently working under the authority of the existing restaurant. But they say, hey, no, no, we're going to pull you, you, and you, and we're going to put you on a team. You've never really worked together before, and now your team has a new mission. So how that team is organized is what a team-based structure. So you can have a special assignment. It's a specialty team that you have in order to accomplish a specific goal. It has nothing to do with your core strategy of your organization. It's something new. Or it could be something within the organization that you're doing that's unique. Like, for instance, we had... We, we had to install field service software into our operation. So we had leaders and managers and field people. I selected the leaders, managers, and field people. We had 100 people. I selected five of them to be a part of this strategic team, cross-functional team. And their duty was, was to manage their organization, was to get their job done, and do a special project for me. That was a team-based, and I said, hey, you're the project lead. Your, your assignment is this, and I had to lead that team in a, in a dynamic way because it was new and different, because we we're doing something unique within our organization. We have divisional, then we have functional, which is divisional is product A, product B, product C, the functional is human resources, finance, operations, and now we have this geographic way that we can. So if we're running, again, IBM, we have IBM Europe, we have IBM North America, we have IBM Africa. These are other ways that we can structure our organization to accomplish organizational goals. So just think about it as a geographic approach. Just like function, you're now doing it in a particular region. But it's, as you can see, is that it needs to be thought out, it should be intentional, and that there are many ways you can do it. And it does not need to be, once you do it once, it doesn't mean that that structure is going to be incorporated for the rest of the organization's history. That it could work for a temporary time, and then based on the growth of the company or maybe the, the slowing of the company, you might need to restructure. So it, it is a, should be an ongoing thought process, but it should be intentional. It should be designed to be intentional to complete strategic goals. If we have these small projects, we can have this temporary task force. The team or committee designed to solve a problem involving several departments. And we can have a project manager, a person who is responsible for coordinating the activities of several departments for the completion of a specific project. Project manager is not a member of one of the departments being coordinated. In every company, there will be initiatives that you, you all are going to either partake, you're going to leave, or you can choose to be a part. If you want within an organization, you could stand out by choosing to be a part of these task force or helping project managers get something done. Those initiatives behind major change within organizations, if done right, and done effectively, CEOs, leaders, COOs, they're looking at you because those projects matter. Sometimes they matter more than the daily operations. So again, I'm thinking from a practical sense, if you're working as a waiter in a restaurant and, and you heard about this initiative that you're, they're, the, the owner is thinking about opening up a new restaurant somewhere and you go to that owner and say, hey, listen, I would like to be a part of this new opening initiative that you have coming up. I would like to lead a group of waiters. I've been here for a year, feel like I know what I'm doing. Would you entrust in me to be a part of this task force? And if you did, and you did a good job, this is a quick path to promotion. So look for those things within organizations. Look for those initiatives and become a part of the task force. Be a project manager if you want to be a project manager. 
It's like a small microcosm of leading a company when you're managing a project because you're given authority, you're given responsibility, you're giving accountability just over that particular smaller mission within the bigger mission. When I talked about that oil and the car, and you thought about that analogy, and you think about the structure of the car working well, or the robot working well, and how you can feel it, see it, remember we talked about fishing, is a part of that. As a manager, there's this thing called relationships with people. And these relationships are going to be the glue that ties in the structure. It's going to be hard to get people to work together. Hard, very difficult task as managers and leaders that we have to do. But our duty at times, and especially the way that we design our structure, should always have an essence of people building relationships with one another. Because the structure may not work temporarily, or there may be things that need to get done, but when people have relationship with one another and they enjoy each other's company, and they want to get to know each other and they want to help each other, that is going to help your structure be more effective. So if you think about, just as a practical example, if you have an office space and everybody is sitting in cubicles and your job is to entertain kids at a, a local basketball party, examples are absurd, I know, and, and you're leading children, like this is your duty, there's going to be 30 kids, you're doing a, a, every day you're doing a camp, a basketball camp, and you're working in cubicles. Is that the most effective way to administer tasks? Are people building relationships to help one another throughout this difficult task? And again, I'm just trying to frame that in your mind of these small decisions to get people to build relationships with one another. Who sits next to who? How's the office laid out? Are we, do we have two locations? If we have two locations, when throughout the year are we getting together as a team and having a celebration? How are we intentionally trying to spend time with people so that we can add oil to this, to this structure? That is relational coordination, frequent horizontal coordination and communication carried out through ongoing relationships of shared goals, shared knowledge, and mutual respect. Employees coordinate directly with each other across units, nirvana for a structure.